This podcast is brought to you by True Voice. We're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by True Voice. I'm your host, Ryan Quelder. In this global economy, conducting business across borders is, well, inescapable, especially with the convenience of virtual platforms. But do people from different cultures process information differently? When presenting to a culturally diverse audience, do you need to simplify complexity or, or include additional details? As sellers, we've got to understand how our buyers process our presentations and other assets that we share with them during their journey. Chewing on these ideas, these questions with me today is my very favorite and yours as well, very favorite cognitive neuroscientist, Dr. Carmen Simon, Chief Science Officer here at Corporate Visions. Carmen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much and uh, welcome everyone. It's uh, exciting to talk about the brain because um, as you mentioned last time, everybody has one. So this conversation is for people with brains. Well, again, uh, super generous for a guy like me. If I think sometimes I feel like the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz, if I only had a brain, but it turns out I do it somewhere in there and most of the time it's functional. <laughs> anyway, all right. So Dr. Simon, so Carmen, uh, for those of us, for our listeners that have not uh, listened to the previous episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and, you know, what what are you all about? I enjoy studying the business brain and mm. um, I study it in realistic context, meaning that um, in all of our neuroscience experiments, we would invite B2B buyers to view some content assets mainly uh, sales presentations, uh, eBooks, websites that would have some uh, useful information. And um, we give them typically the task of evaluating the information Mm -hmm. to um, consider whether they would make a decision in the favor of the vendor who's sharing that information or not. Because the brain is capable of making some decisions, but it's also capable of retaining its status quo just as well. And um, in that process, I put some fun gear on um, our participants. They get to wear an EEG cap, and through that cap, we record an electroencephalogram signal, which just simply means your brain waves that get generated in reaction to stimulation. On their chest, there's also an ECG electrode, so we get an electrocardiogram signal. We get to record your heart rate. We hope that people create business presentations with a pulse. And um, on their wrist, we also placed a device that's called the GSR, a galvanic skin response, because ideally when you're watching something or you're reading something, you have a reaction to it. And when you do, your skin physically changes. So we get to capture those changes. 
And on the computer that they're using to view these uh, assets, we have an eye tracker, or sometimes we ask them to wear the actual eye tracking devices. And the reason why that's important is because you typically look to where you think. So visual attention is um, instrumental in studying cognition. So those are the four signals that you'll hear me talk about anytime that we share some practical results from our neuroscience studies. Okay. And it's always so interesting if, if our listener, if you're a listener and you have not participated and you have the opportunity to participate, I highly recommend super fun, very interesting. And you're, you know, helping generate data and information for the greater good. So, you know, Carmen, how did you come across or what, let me ask it this way. Why this study, you know, why did you get interested in this question of complexity across cultures? I get interested in it because um, I have an affinity for that which is complex. I'm noticing that uh, the brain is synchronizing better with a complex signal. And um, the way I know this is so is because at the beginning of all the neuroscience studies I conduct, before we show buyers those artifacts that I mentioned, the business presentation or the ebook or the video or the website, I ask them to stare at a beige wall for about 30 seconds or a beige screen, depending on the assignment and the experiment. And then I compare what happens in their brain when they're staring into something that is not as stimulating and what is happening in their brain when they're looking at something that should be stimulating with a key phrase being should. Yeah. <laughs> and then because we have now a baseline, we can make comparisons. And unfortunately, what I notice is that sometimes clients are not disciplined enough or perhaps don't have the proper skill or approaches to beat the beige wall meaning that sometimes we don't find statistically significant differences between the stimulus itself and what the beige wall has to offer. That's just a side point. But the main point to answer your beautiful question is when we stare at the beige wall, we only do so temporarily because there's nothing there really. So then where do we go? We go inward because there's a lot of buzz that's happening inside. You don't always have to be stimulated externally. And because that buzz is quite complex, we're noticing that what happens there is just now it's kind of like an exciting thing. And that complexity keeps you going much more so compared to if you're staring at an artifact that is so simple or simplistic and quite dull. So that was a reason number one why I, I had a hunch that complexity keeps us going better uh, and for longer. But also I was at a conference and this person walks up to me and we were talking about complexity. And he says, you know, I think it's the Germans that really like complexity and the Americans not so much. Hmm. And I said, are you implying that Americans are superficial? And he said, I'm not even implying. So <laughs> that's what just, just on the nose. Yes, Americans are superficial. What are you saying? So that's what did it. And I thought, you know, from that moment on, I made it a mission. And I thought I'm going to take buyers from various cultures expose them to simple content versus complex content and see if there is a difference. Usually as a scientist, you seek statistically significant differences. In this case, I was after the opposite. I wanted to find nothing. So you came into this with a specific hypothesis. Yes. Okay. What I'm, I gotta, I gotta know what was so, what triggered you? I mean, what was your reaction when this person came to you and said, look, I think the Germans are more complex and the Americans are or, you know, maybe want something more simple. What, what was it that triggered for you? 
I was um, I was thinking about the beige wall, and I was thinking about uh, the stimulation that follows the beige wall, and I knew already that the brain synchronizes better with that which is complex. What I didn't know for certain was whether there were cultural differences in uh, in this brain synchronization, and. Um, at the point, at the time, I was thinking, hmm, it's possible that he's correct. It's possible that, you know, you are from Germany. Earlier before uh, this podcast, you and I were talking about precision. So with precision might have to come some additional details. But I had more faith in the American population as well, in the American buyer. <laughs> so I went into this with the hypothesis that there should be no statistically significant differences between various cultures when they're processing something that is complex. With the condition, however, that you're managing complexity well. So at that point, though, you know, as a scientist, you always have to define your terms, and we had to define complexity in specific ways. What's complex to you, by the way? Like I, as we're talking about complexity, and I'm extending this question to our audience as well, just ponder for a moment, what do you find to be complex in business content, not in the way that the economy is going or in internet systems or artificial intelligence? Uh, those are systems that are definitely marked by complexity. But where communication is concerned, what's complex to you? A wonderful question. I think, oh man, um, for me, it's always about the relationship um, between the internal and external decision-making process uh, and the all of the things that go into actually making the decision, how people communicate with each other, uh, you know, starting at the very top level with the big strategic vision all the way down to me personally, how does this decision impact myself, how it's communicated or not communicated? I, I think that is, for me, that is super complex. It is complex, and um, I think what you're alluding to is the fact that you have a lot of layers, so you have a lot of some things, so abundance or volume is definitely a variable that would mm. contribute to complexity. Another one, which is I think that you're also alluding to with your description and example, is the fact that um, there are not just a lot of some things and a lot of layers, but those layers might be diverse. Mm. Because if you had, let's just say that a company was selling a thousand products, and if it's the same product, uh, then okay, that's not complex. It's maybe a little complicated. But now if you're varying those types of products, and now if those things or those layers in decision-making are also interdependent, such as if something happens at layer three, that will influence not only what happened at layer one, but also at layer five. Now you see how the system is, uh, is getting a little bit uh, more complex. Um, hence that quote you may have heard that if a butterfly uh, does something in, uh, in uh, Brazil, for example, and bats its wings, then that will create a tornado uh, somewhere else. So in a complex system, even one small element can have very intricate and multi-dimensional implications throughout the entire system. So if we think about complexity, we can analyze it from the angle of something that has volume that has diverse items, which are also interdependent. Mm. So we have to have that definition very clear because then when we present one group of buyers with something that is simple, the moment that we present them with something that is complex, then we have to say, we added more volume, we added diverse elements, and we made sure that those things were interdependent. 
Okay, so I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. I, what did you find? I mean, what what ultimately was the result of the study? You've got this complexity. You've got these phenomenal questions. You had this hypothesis that you wanted the base. What happened? What'd you what'd you find? So this is what happened. The uh, topic that we picked, we had to pick a topic that is um, easily understood by various cultures and buyers mm. of various cultures, of uh, which there were um, seven cultures that uh, we included in the study. And um, there were actually nine, but two of them were not super responsive to uh, our memory test. Remember, after 48 hours, when we exposed buyers to these presentations, we test their long-term memory, which also tells us something about those cultures. I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. Mm. But we picked a topic that was um, fairly universal, which was cybersecurity. Most people would understand the necessity for having a vendor that caters to your cybersecurity needs, almost irrespective of your field. And um, we presented a fairly unique point of view on cybersecurity. We uh, presented it from the uh, angle of a vendor who was offering a solution for cybersecurity for IT, information technology, but also for OT, operational technology. Not that many people are familiar with the OT because these days, even physical objects can be connected to the cloud and those can be attacked. So for instance, if you remember that... Um, attack that happened at Target a while back where someone stole a bunch of customers' data, mm -hmm. that um, attack happened through an air conditioning system. Oh, so really? A, I did not know that. Wow. It's a physical system that is connected to the cloud. So therefore, when you hear vendors that um, talk about the merits of their solution, it's quite good if they say IT plus OT. Because in IT, if you lose your data, somebody loses their job. In OT, if somebody attacks an oil rig, for instance, somebody can lose their life. So it's a, it's a very potent, very um, serious business. So IT versus OT for group number one of buyers, we only presented this solution that I'm talking about superficially. So we said, this is why IT is important. This is why OT is important. As a vendor, this is what we have to offer. And we stopped there. For the complex solution, we, we, we showed them exactly what group one saw, but then we really went into layers like you're talking about. We said, this is what we really mean when we say IT. This is what we really mean when we say OT. So there is a lot of volume. There are also there are diverse elements that go into both. And also they're interdependent, such as if you do something here, that may trigger something here on this other side of the system. Mm. So um, we added this elaboration and the extra details and the, uh, the extra stories, which is, by the way, how you can add these layers of complexity. And um, what did we find? No statistically significant differences, just like I was uh, asking. So your hypothesis was confirmed. Exactly. So regardless of, uh, of, uh, of culture, if um, you're just simply comparing simple versus complex, we found like cognitively speaking, not that many differences. So it's not like you can say, you know what, the complex presentation like really takes it hard on the, on the brain. Affectively, we, uh, we found that most people were in a neutral state or slightly in a negative state, which reminds us, by the way, that sometimes you are in a negative state when you're learning something. And the reason I know that to be so is because 78% of the 333 people, by the way, who participated in the study, that's a huge sample for a neuroscience study, remembered what we wanted them to remember. Last time we were talking about the merit of a 10% uh, message. And yes. the, the reason we called it that is because we already know, regardless of culture, people will forget 90% or more after 48 hours. 
So 78% of these people, regardless of simple or complex, remembered what we wanted them to remember. However, the people in the complex presentation remembered with 15% more precision. Precision is, is uh, really important if you're in a competitive uh, in, environment because you want people to remember what you have as a differentiator compared to somebody else. And usually that comes from some verbatim memory. Also, people understood the content better, so their comprehension was higher. And they even remembered additional elements. And all of these things that I'm talking about didn't come from the complex part that we added, it came from the initial part that everybody saw. So you see what happens in your brain is that the elaboration enables you to build extra nodes and extra activation between nodes in your knowledge, meaning that one element will trigger another element and another element. And when you have elaborated that you're increasing the likelihood of this spreading activation to take place. So you're increasing likelihood for memory of what's essential. Okay, so hypothesis confirmed, uh, rad to use my 80s language. Um, so neat. Um, were there outliers? And you mentioned some, there were a couple cultures that, that we learned something that was maybe unexpected, but were there some outliers? What were some ancillary learnings that, that, that maybe challenged or that were surprised to you? There were some surprises. Um, for example, I really enjoyed finding this again is regardless of the culture, just simple versus complex mm. that the brain mind wanders less during a complex presentation. This is huge for all of us because the moment that you have that elaboration and those layers that you're mentioning in your example, that's when we stay in it a little bit more and we'll get perhaps to the, toward the end of our conversation to some ways in which you manage complexity. Remember, we started our conversation saying you have to manage complexity well in order for all of this to work, yeah. but just a, an extra certainty for the complex your buyer's brains will mind wander less during that which is complex. Uh, so that was uh, intriguing to find. Then we looked at various cultures and compare them with each other. For the American buyer, the good news for all of us, if uh, this is indeed going just to uh, an American uh, audience, we are motivated, more motivated to listen to that which is complex versus that which is simple. And yeah, sure, we get a bit more fatigued, but we also pay attention better. We remember better from that which is complex. The German culture, by contrast, what surprised me about them, because remember, that's how the whole thing started on a challenge. Right. <laughs> I was intrigued that they did not get less fatigued, for instance, from a complex presentation, because if they really prefer all of those details, then of course, you would think that maybe they take them in a little bit more easily. And that wasn't the case. It is true that they did not like the uh, simple presentation. One of the signals that we are after when we combine the EEG and ECG signals is uh, valence, meaning how much the brain enjoys the experience. So we can tell whether somebody likes something or does not without even asking them. Hmm. Also, what I noticed for uh, the German population is that when we look at the GSR signal, remember the galvanic skin response, we're able to calculate how many peaks per minute there are. So how often do they react during that presentation and how high the amplitude of those peaks are. So it's possible to have a few reactions, but then you're not really also strongly uh, have experiencing those emotions. And uh, I was intrigued that they had out of all the uh, cultures that uh, we included, the highest amount of peaks during the uh, the presentations and the highest amplitude. So these people are living, like they're really reacting regardless of what you're showing them, simple or complex. 
I wonder if it comes with some cultural pressures, because when you're looking to the German buyer, you're thinking, I'm expecting for them to investigate everything, to scrutinize everything, to pay attention to everything. So I feel like they're they're uh, a little bit um, under pressure. So my uh, my advice is if you're only addressing German buyers, just kind of take it a little bit easier on them. And isn't it true that it's possible since there are no statistic, statistically significant differences between the simple versus complex for the German uh, buyer, it's possible they can still impress them with, with a simple stimulus. We still wouldn't recommend it, but don't feel like you have to try extra hard with the, uh, with the German population. Okay. I love that. Okay. So that is, that's fascinating. And that we could, you could go down different paths and, and do all kinds of other studies around whatever, but I want, I want to come back to this idea that you've, that you 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 um, started to talk about uh, a couple times now, and that is ha- uh, managing complexity. Yes. How do we know? Uh, you know, if I'm a seller, how do I know, or what are the the signs that somebody might do well with managing complexity? So there are very specific uh, criteria that um, we'll be looking for, and that worked well for uh, for these cultures. And the cultures that we included were the U.S., uh, the U.K. We had uh, Irish buyers there. We had uh, French. We had uh, German. We were talking about them. We had Italian. We had uh, Chinese. And um, we had Indian. And we had Australian. So nine cultures. For the final analysis, we had to exclude the Irish and the Australian. Their samples were small. But also, the Australian population was the one that did not respond to our two-day memory test. Oh, so interesting. are indeed addressing Australian buyers. Just uh, you might have to uh, be prepared for extra follow-ups in terms of uh, in terms of business. But for the rest of the cultures, uh, they were included in the analysis. And um, for sure, by the way, if you are addressing buyers from with a Chinese brain or with the Indian brain, uh, UK for certain, they were definitely reacting better to, and the, um, the American obviously, better to the uh, complex stimulus. The Italian, French, and German were the surprises for me where they could be a bit more, more, more flexible so that you could go either way. And when we say manage complexity, what do we specifically mean? First of all, the complex, the complex presentation had a lot of layers, like I mentioned, they were interdependent, they were diverse. And we managed those through gradual display. So we didn't just hit the brain with all those details and elements all at once. We build the story gradually. So first you understood this component, and then you understood this other component, and then you understood how the two go together. So at some point in this presentation, there was a slide that had about 33 animations not gratuitously done, just uh, very, uh, very elegant. But that's what I mean that sometimes you, if you go intense, be prepared that on the back end, which the viewer doesn't even realize, to do a bit more work in the sense of everything happens uh, sequentially and uh, just a, a very slow build. Also, design-wise, we build a big contrast between all of these elements so that you could keep track as to which was uh, what was what. So we knew what was belonging to the IT side. We knew what was belonging to the OT side. The icons that we had designed were a bit different so that the contrast you could understand very sharply. Contrast is one of the most powerful techniques that you can use when it comes to to complexity. And um, also what I felt was very important was that we didn't just elaborate on details, but we added a unique point of view. 
not that many people had heard about OT in the way that we described it and um, the emotional language that we had added to it, by the way, as well. And um, because you now pair up with volume, with diversity and interdependence, but now you have a unique point of view, mm. the brain is more curious. So of course it will stay with you for a while. Okay. So um, I think I'm tracking here. Um, you, you mentioned contrast as one of the most powerful tools that you can employ. Tell me more about this. What do you mean? Uh, help, help me understand this in the, in the context of B2B seller presenting to somebody. So if we are defining complexity by saying that it's a system that has a lot of elements and those elements are diverse and interdependent, at some point, the brain should understand what's different from everything else. Because otherwise, if everything kind of looks the same and you don't see the distinction between your items and how they're even different and how they are even connected to each other, then it will not be a complex system. It will be a complicated system. <laughs> so... Luckily for us, we only had two items to use contrast for. We had the IT side and we had the OT side. And for those we had established, like we literally divided the screen in half. And we said, this is what we mean by IT. This is what we mean by OT. The color contrast was important as well. So we used one color for one side, one color for the other side. We use some lines and arrows to now show how these sides are interdependent. So once you understand the contract, contrast, you also appreciate how they intersect with each other. So you can think about contrast in terms of perceptual contrast, meaning like physically colors and shapes. And you can also think conceptual contrast, meaning the differences between ideas. So you alluded to some potential danger. If I'm, if I'm reading appropriately, it's some potential danger where if maybe we fail to get that contrast right, we go from complex to complicated. Yes. And I heard the danger in your voice here. Help me un unpack that. Help, help us understand this. It's a, it's a huge nuance. And I'm hoping that all of our listeners will appreciate it and, uh, and apply it because let's face it, business is not getting any easier or simpler. It is increasingly complex. And perhaps this is how you're even building credibility because through your complexity, you're not going to say, here are just three simple ways to uh, get a six pack. Uh, you probably have some solutions that have these layers um, and they, they are interdependent. And a way to manage this notion of complex versus complicated is to think of this other concept of uh, fractals. Are you familiar with fractals? I am, but help, I, I am, but help our audience understand what are fractals? It would be very easy to understand the notion of fractals. Next time that you go to the grocery store, simply look at a head of broccoli or a head of cauliflower, or next time you go outside of the house, look at a tree. And what you will notice is that the tree itself, the father tree, let's call it that, has a shape. And if you look at a small branch, that small branch retains the same properties as the big tree. And even on the smaller branch, if you look for a smaller branch just yet, even the smaller branch still retains the same properties of the bigger branch and of the entire tree. In a head of cauliflower, if you look at the tiny little head of baby cauliflower, it maintains the same properties as the entire head of cauliflower. So a fractal is a system that maintains its properties at any level of magnification. And you will find this very applicable to business content because if you have a core of ideas that you really want people to take away from your presentation or from your ideas, your products, your services, let's call this a 10% message, and that's your core, 
any kind of elaboration and you're anytime you're making the system now more complex can be still easily be managed if it still maintains the same properties if it's cauliflower all the way down so you're adding extra details you're acting adding extra layers interdependencies between these layers but you're not deviating from the core so if you had the chance to present to your customer for two minutes for 30 minutes for a full day it would still be cauliflower all the way down so that is a might be the the best explanation of fractal that I've ever heard, uh, and you know even I can understand that. So that that's helpful. Um, what I'm hearing you say is the consistency of the message that maybe the well no let me back up here. How does the ten percent message layer into? I mean, what we talked about last time. How does the ten percent message layer into this idea of complexity versus complicated? So if we think about the main message for this presentation that we studied during um, our research, it was one main message, which is cybersecurity is critical for the health of your business. And you can only cater it through these three points. And we've shared what the three points were. Of course, they were very nicely aligned to the vendor's capabilities. Don't, don't we teach that all the time? So if you want the brain to take away three things, make sure that at some point they're connected to what you have to offer. And any kind of elaboration was not springing away from this one main message and these three supporting points, regardless of how many other details we added. So that's where you're keeping the system manageable and complex. It's not complicated because now I'm not going on this one branch where there's nothing that looked like I we just saw. And I'm not going on this other path that looks like nothing that we just saw before. And I'm not going on this other path that look like, looks like nothing that we just saw before. That's when something becomes complicated. And if you remember any business presentation you may have attended where at first you were taking on this area and then you went on this other area and then you went on the other area and you're thinking I'm having a very hard time understanding how all of this comes together so that by the time I leave and somebody else leaves and somebody else leaves they're all tied by the same branch so to speak. So was this study done specifically uh, for buyers or did, did this entail or could these same principles apply to existing customers that maybe you're presenting complex data and ideas to as well? I mean, do, does it span both directions or was it it's mostly in the, the buying decision? It's an interesting question you're asking because in this case, we would have considered that it's for new customers mm -hmm. because these people would not have heard of the solution before. They would not have heard of this vendor before. So that would be for your prospects. But I would say that the way that we process complex content is fairly universal. Remember the, the, the beige wall? Yeah. So if I had to redo the study with complex content for existing customers, my hypothesis would be fairly similar in the sense of keep your complexity, manage it well with these guidelines that, uh, that we're sharing, and make sure that you manage it well without, for existing customers, here's the addendum that I would have. Make sure that you manage it well without the addition of seductive details all throughout ooh, our conversation. Ooh, oh, yeah, here, help, help me under what's this? Go, go here. <laughs> all throughout our conversation, we said, with complexity, you add. So there is addition. Now you elaborate. You're, you're, that's, there is addition. But what kind of addition? With each time that we added something, we added something that was contributing to the court, the, the head of cauliflower. It was, uh, it was instrumental and mandatory to be there. I just finished another study where we were adding for existing customers, which is uh, the question that you're asking, seductive details, meaning that uh, on their 10% message, there was a, a picture of a person and he was 
talking about uh, well, symbolizing this notion of bridging virtual and uh, live events. And he was just um, he was just an ornament. And uh, he also had a face. So the face immediately attracts attention without rewarding it, by the way, because as a stock photography, which is what he was, he didn't reward us in, in any in any shape or form. So be very careful, especially for existing customers, because existing customers will come to you for efficiency. Now they already know you, they have a relationship with you. They will not mind the complexity as long as it is free from ornaments. Okay. That, that is fascinating. I, I'm that that's okay. That's, that's huge. So um, if you were to um, take, you know, for our, for our listeners here, if you were to take the, generalized um, findings that, that we've been talking about and the, the recommendations, what would be the, maybe the, I don't know, the one, two or three top recommendations that you'd give to sellers to help them be more effective with complex, complex presentations? Yeah, let's uh, summarize it and uh, get to the core of, of our message. And um, I would say avoid simplifying complexity. On the contrary, the verb that I would offer, I would say is complexify. And when you complexify, you can expect these benefits. You can expect more precise memory of your, of your content. You can expect better understanding of your content. And you can also expect additional elements to still stay in memory. So perhaps you can even beat the 10% mark that we're talking about. And the supporting points for this notion of complexify would be make sure that you display elements gradually Make sure that you have enough contrast between the elements that contribute to your story and make sure that you have a solid core that then gets to be in the center, so to speak. So regardless if you're adding two layers to that, if you're adding 200 layers for that, the properties of that core never change. Complexify, contrast, the cauliflower throughout. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> okay. That, that, that makes good sense. It, it, with every one of these studies that you do, I mean, uh, one of the, I'm assuming I'm not a neuroscientist, cognitive neuroscientist. Um, I'm assuming that um, every study begets new questions and new queries and new hypotheses and new, um, what's something, did anything come out of this specific study that may, might push you down new pathways of study? Always, and I really like the way that uh, you're positioning this. You always come from a study with uh, ideas for, for the next one and also with some humble points as well. Studying culture is uh, a very satisfying uh, thing to do, first of all. I, I try to stay away from culture, by the way, for the longest time. If really? Why? Why did you stay away? We're talking to scientists and there are two words that you can say that already cause like this murmur in the room. One is culture and one is personality. Mm. You mentioned those two phrases <laughs> and you already know that you can go down so many paths. And speaking of complexity, it can, it just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to control and, uh, and have a say on. And that's one of the reasons I, uh, I stayed away, but no longer because with each conference presentation, with each report that I would share, inevitably somebody in the audience would say, but how about culture? Are there cultural differences in things that you're talking about? 
So at least now we have this foundation. And I think one of the most profound things as I've been looking at how do the French process of information, by the way, they too are just as pressured as the Germans. From what I'm understanding, the French uh, university system is, is so strict. They abide by very high standards, very strict discipline. Uh, and um, it, is not, uh, it is not easy to be them, let's put it that way. As a result of that, by the way, of all the cultures that I listed, they had the highest memory scores. So these people, when you give them content, you can expect that they will be in there regardless if it's simple or, uh, or complex. The Italians, if you ever want to be flexible with a population, it's definitely the uh, the Italian uh, the Italian one. So you have these surprises, but what you're understanding as you're looking at the various cultures is that at some point you have to look in the mirror as well. Mm. At some point, I think as you study diversity, you realize that first of all you have to understand yourself. So a short way to answer your question would be to say what really makes the American culture American? What is it when we look in the mirror, what, what is it that we see and do we like what we see? I love that question and that my friend is for another show. <laughs> so, uh, so much there. And the, the power for me in, in these questions is actually in the question and then the the thinking through at the very individual level, you know, coming back to your beige wall. Um, I, I immediately tried to put myself in my, in my mind's eye, I put myself in front of a beige wall and started to wonder when, before you got to the, the, the punchline that uh, when, when you're staying at a beige wall, your mind tends to wander into things that are more complex. Um, that's exactly what happened. So I placed myself in my mind's eye. So it was like a layer within a layer within a layer, right? A dream within a dream was like inception. I was sitting in my mind's eye in front of a beige wall and I was thinking, and I immediately started to, to wander into other more complex or more things that were meaningful and deeper for myself. Asking yourself the retrospective or the introspection of asking yourself, or when you look in the mirror, what I'm hearing you say is could have a potential impact on how we connect with, how we deal with other people and other cultures and the complexity that we're presenting. Am I, am I tracking? Am I understanding? Definitely so. I think that one of the hardest questions you can ask of your content is, would I attend my own presentation? Mm. Uh, would your spouse, would you invite your spouse to your next B2B sales presentation? And uh, I'm hoping that the, the answer is yes. And when it's no, it could happen that uh, people might say, oh, if I invited my spouse to this, they would be so bored. But why? why how, how could you make it where they weren't uh, so, uh, so bored? And I think that then takes you on the, on the right uh, train of thought. And I like how you're referencing inception because a challenge that we all have very much like an inception-like approach is to insert yourself in somebody else's dream. As you're thinking about your own content, is it possible that you insert it in somebody else's dream so that even when you're not around, they can still reflect on that which you thought was critical? And I would say that by abiding by complexity, you increase the chances of inserting yourself in somebody else's dream. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> okay. So my mind is melted. Face is melted. All of the things, uh, uh, Carmen, uh, that was an amazing, uh, final idea and that not only, okay. The, the part that was for me, that was 
was so amazing was the fact that you brought this back to the human level, right? This, this isn't, I mean, science, science is science. We have to have it and it has to, you know, abide by the certain rules. But if we can't bring that science back to the level of, of human connection, uh, if we can't bring it back to the pragmatic application of the B2B sale and for salespeople who oftentimes are fairly um, emotional, um, fairly uh, relational driven, we we have a significant disconnect between the value of what that science looks like and how it's applied. So if you were to give advice, you know, rounding rounding out our show here, if you were to give advice to our our listeners, our audience, um, on what they should do to start, um, what advice would you give them on how to start um, maybe exploring um, exactly what you just talked about, building the presentation, with complexity that uh, empowers or allows or invites the um, uh, person watching your presentation to put juxtapose themselves in. Yes. And uh, I like how you're, you're asking what would be the, the first step. And the first step is for all of us to practice what we preach in the sense that if we know that complexity has merits for the buyer's brain, then we have to be at home with complexity. We have mm. to embrace it ourselves. And I fear that in the age of AI, we're reaching now for the simple solution. Let's wow. chat GPT handle the complexity. Let some other systems go to those extra layers and the interdependence and figure it out. And the reason I worry is because we might start losing in time these skills to see patterns in that which is complex to see the properties of the cauliflower that we're talking about. And unless you had an AI assistant, you wouldn't know what is the essence of that tree branch. So the advice that I have as a first step is to make friends with fractals and um, get comfortable with complexity and um, allow your brain to feel the effort even in understanding it because it will be effortful. The moment that you add layers and the moment there is interdependence, even at the smallest detail, of course, that is effortful, but find joy and rewards in the effort itself, not in just the final step where ChatGPT would have figured it out all for you. And that's one way that we can maintain our humanness in the age of AI. Carmen, thank you for being on the show. That was awesome. Friends with Fractals, I think we have an idea for a new show, right? We can do a show called Friends with, uh, Friends with Fractals. Uh, no, but seriously, thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, Carmen. It was just delightful to have you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to, uh, to the next one. And, and listeners, for more from us at True Voice from Corporate Visions and to read the full story, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.